0: Believe in yourself, cause it starts with you, and then everyone else will believe you too. And if it looks
1: like you're the only believer around, just keep on believing, don't put yourself down, just believe.
0: Our guest this week grew up in Brainerd, Minnesota, earned a degree from St. John's University, Ordained a priest in 2003, he's the Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministry for the Diocese of Duluth and the Newman Center Chaplain at the University of Minnesota, Duluth. His podcast of The Bible in a Year, 365 episodes, is the number one ranked podcast in the world. Known as the podcast priest, his name, Father Mike Schmitz, and we're honored to have him again as a guest. And I'm Jack Prasoola, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. I'm Jack Prasoola, this is Anything is Possible, and we're talking to Father Mike Schmitz, affectionately known as the Podcast Priest. Father, welcome back, an honor to have you.
1: Thanks, Jack. It's an honor to be had. I appreciate it.
0: Can we start by you leading us in an opening prayer this evening?
1: Oh, oh, absolutely. Let's do it. We'll pray. We'll pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father in heaven, uh, we give you praise and glory. We thank you. We thank you for the gifts of this day. We thank you for the gift of this season of thanks. We ask that you please, uh, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, receive our thanksgiving. Receive our praises. And we ask that you please, in the name of your your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, that you continue to bless all of us, but especially, Lord, in this season of giving, this season of thanksgiving, the season of praise and thanks, that you bless those who go without uh, this day. We ask you to please take care of all those who are forgotten, those who are unnoticed and unknown. We ask you to please bless and send your Holy Spirit upon those who are, are lonely and who have no one with them right now. Please fill them, fill their hearts with joy, fill their hearts with with knowledge of your love and of you, because you are always present, Lord God. You never leave us. You never abandon us. We make this prayer in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Thank you, Father. All right, let's go back to Brainerd, Minnesota, your childhood. Three sisters, two brothers, mom and dad. Talk to us about growing up in Brainerd, Minnesota, please.
1: Yeah, it was it was great. It was it was a gift. It was huge. Uh, so if you know anything about Minnesota, which not everyone does, uh, but the Brainerd Lakes area is, is the lakes area. Minnesota is known as the land of ten thousand lakes. I know you know about lakes. So you guys have a lot of great lakes. <laughs> we have one great lake, uh, Lake Superior. But uh, but the the Brainerd Lakes area is like the tourist area of Minnesota. And so if anyone lives in the Twin Cities, they like on the weekends in the summertime they drive north. To the, to the lakes and I was so blessed to be able to live there because uh, so my, actually my parents, my, my parents met when my dad was in college, my mom was in nursing school and, uh, they both grew up kind of the metro area. My mom grew up in the twin cities and my dad grew up south of the twin cities. And when he got them with residency, he's, he was an orthopedic surgeon, uh, in Chicago, at Cook County General Hospital, yeah. they uh, decided that they wanted to move back to Minnesota. They did not want to live in the Twin Cities, and so they just asked each other, "Where did you Where did you guys vacation when you were kids?" And they all they both vacationed in the Brainerd Lakes area. They so said, "Why don't we just start our family and raise our family where we used to love to vacation?" So they moved us up there, and uh, I was raised in the place where. People liked the vacation. That was my home. And I just, I'm grateful to my parents and so grateful to the Lord for that alone. I mean, there's other things, other gifts about, you know, growing up with my, as a child of my parents and a sibling to my siblings, but uh, that was one gift.
0: I quote you now, though raised in a Catholic family, I was largely indifferent about Catholicism until a particular experience of confession at age 15. Yeah. Please.
1: Yeah, so what happened to you, as, I, as you mentioned, uh, I, I would say, yeah, indifferent, or even, you know, sometimes, sometimes I remember being kind of antagonistic in some ways. In fact, there was, a, there was a woman who taught at our elementary, our Catholic elementary school, and she at the time, when I was there, she was just a sub. And, but she reminds me regularly, she reminds me that when I was maybe, I don't know, fifth grade, sixth grade, somewhere in there, uh, she had subs for us, and she put on some Christian music. And uh, in in the classroom, you know, just to kind of like background while we were studying or doing homework or doing crafts, whatever it was. And apparently, she reminds me of this. She says that I looked up to her and said, "Ugh, this isn't that Jesus freak music, is it?" And she was like, "What?" And apparently, because I've never heard that phrase in my life, uh, but I used it. And and she and she's she like, "Yes, this is Jesus music. This is the, the singing about Jesus." And she and apparently, I was disgusted by that. You know, my, my sixth grade self. And she said, you better be careful. I, Jesus, he's, he's got his hand on you. He's, he's got his eye on you. You're, you're gonna, He's going to get you one day. And I was like, no way, kind of a thing like that. You no, know, she reminds me of this because I have had almost all of her kids have been part of our youth program yeah, over the last uh, you know, 20 years. And so I am grateful that she reminds me of this because, yeah, as you said, I was indifferent or antagonistic to the faith. But then there was this moment, and it's a moment of grace because— I was about, as I said, as you said, about 15 years old, and it was kind of out of nowhere. I mean, it was almost like one of those situations where you use the phrase apropos of nothing, where it was just, I was just living my life, and all of a sudden, I had this deep and real, profound awareness of my own sin. It wasn't even immediately awareness of God's goodness. It wasn't necessarily an awareness of God's grace. It was awareness of like, oh my gosh, like it, what it was was, I, I, I knew all the commandments because I went to Catholic school. We went to Sunday mass every Sunday, but all of a sudden it was, wait a second. That's in, that's in my heart. Like that's something that I've done and, and it changed everything. I remember my immediate two thoughts were, oh my goodness. Um, well, first was, oh my gosh, I can't save myself. I need a savior. And then it was like, ding, you know, <laughs> what they've been telling me my whole life, all of a sudden became very very relevant to me. And then the second thing was I need to pray and I need to go to confession and so the prayer thing a whole nother story but the confession thing i had uh, i didn't know the rules i just i knew i didn't know you have confessions on saturdays i just knew that i knew where the priest lived he lived next to the church and so i got on my bike and rode it across town and knocked on the priest door at 10 o'clock on a tuesday morning and he was home and he i was like i was like father can i go to confession said, sure come on in and went to confession and uh when I stepped off that front porch after confession, I was so grateful. I was so thankful. I mean, just again, the season of thanks. I was so thankful, and I remember, uh, I, my first three thoughts were, God, thank you so much. Uh, you you set me free. Like I walked in here just weighed down by sin, dead in my sin, and you've set me free. Second, my second thought was, God, if you ever want me to be a priest, I will hear anyone's confession anytime they ask. When I I'd never thought about being a priest before because you know. You don't usually think about being a priest if you don't like the church. (laughs) And my third thought after, God, thank you, and if you want me to be a priest, I will, uh, hear anyone's confession whenever they ask. My third thought was, oh, she's really cute. (laughs) And, you know, the idea of just like, okay, we got to figure this out. we got to figure out what God is calling me to. And I look back on that moment as a defining moment, a kind of a moment like Pope Benedict describes when he talks about the encounter with Jesus that gives one's life a new horizon, and sets it in a decisive direction. That's what it was. I mean, I, I can trace back my rest of my vocation story to that moment where it was like, oh, that was that was the moment where I walked out. I encountered Jesus in confession, and He gave my life a new horizon and set it in a decisive direction. And uh, yeah, I'm so grateful.
0: We're talking to Father Mike Schmitz, and when we come back, we're going to ask him about confession. And I'm Jack Krasula, and this is Anything Is Possible on 760 WJR. anything is possible. I'm Jack Krasula. We're with Father Mike Schmitz, who was ordained a priest 2003, 20 years ago. Father, I quote you again. One of the best questions a priest can be asked in his entire life is, Father, will you hear my confession? Yeah. Why so, Father?
1: Yeah, it just, it's, it, it goes back to the you know, the other, the other great question that priests love to be asked is, how do I become Catholic? That's another really great question. Uh, and because both of them are about the same thing. They're both about coming home. They're both about returning. They're both about allowing God to do what he wants to do, which is he wants to, I mean, he does love us. But so often, we don't give God permission to love us. So often we say, no, I'm going to go my own way. So often we, we just, you know, we take the reins and we drive where we want to go. But confession is this moment where we just say, actually, God, I need you. And not only do I need you, I, I need you to do what you've wanted to do my whole life, which is love me. And I just think there's something, there's something about the the Christian life that we we miss. And that thing is uh, essentially, I, I always say this, I say that if, you know, Catholicism can seem very confusing, it can seem very complex. And, and yeah, there's, there's, there's some nuance. There's some, there's some complexity to it because, you know, we, a lot of big people have thought about this because God is infinite, you know, so obviously there's going to be some complexity. At the same time, I would say that in so many ways, all of Catholicism, all of the church, all of Christianity comes down to one question and one answer. And it's God asking the question, will you give me permission to love you? And our answer is either no, you don't get to love me, or yes, and it's, and it's not just, will you give me permission to love you? It's, will you give me permission to love you as you are and as I am? Because what, what God's love is, is that, okay, sometimes we do this. Sometimes we say, yeah, of course, God, you can love me, but love me when I'm better. Like, love me when I'm, I'm healed. Love me when I no longer struggle with this issue or this shame that I have in my life. And so the answer to that, answer to that is actually no, you don't have my permission to love me. But if we say, God, okay, I give you permission to love me as I am then that means that right now, right now, as I am, I'm letting God love me, which is what he wants to do because he already is loving you. But we're the only ones that can, it can prevent him, that love, from changing our hearts. And that's the second part is, is love isn't just an emotion, right? Love is, love is it's not just affective. Like it's not just affection, but it's effective. It does something. And so if I'm going to let God love me, that means that I'm going to allow myself, my heart to be changed, to be like his. And so it's not just kind of like, oh, shucks, you know, you love me, God. I give you permission. I'm going to go do my own thing now. It's, oh, no, no, no. God, I give you permission to love me now. And I give you permission to buy that love, by your loving me, to change my life and to change my heart so that I actually become more like you. And I think that in so many ways that's what confession is. Confession is laying down our rebellious hearts, <laughs> laying down our rebellious arms and saying, okay, God, you win. I give you permission. And the last thing here, I just would say this. So often we go into confession, and our mentality, when we do go to confession, our mentality is we're begging God, okay, God, give me one more chance. Give me one more chance. I'll do better. And the reality is, when we go to confession, it's actually God who's asking for one more chance. It's God who's saying, give me one more chance. Like, just let me love you. Let me heal you. Let me lift you up. And so when we go to confession, what we're saying to God is, okay, God, um, yes, to to his request, to his is asking us to give him one more chance.
0: You've been a salesman for God for the last 20 years as a priest. Yeah. 20 years times 365 days is 7,300 days that you've said daily mass, and you've raised the body and blood of Christ each time, each day. Father Schmitz, what do you think and what do you say to yourself when you do this every day?
1: that's a great question um, I'm always trying to be very present to the Lord you know at every mass uh, especially because as you noted it it's ha- it happens every day and um, or virtually every day and that sense of sometimes multiple times in the course of a day but to realize that you know in the words of Father Benedict Rochelle we have heaven in our hands in that in those moments we have heaven in our hands and that that, that not only the, the noun of the presence of God, that that is incredible. That's the, the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus right here. But also the verb, the action of the Eucharist, the action of worshiping God. And I think that's, if, if there's anything, there's maybe some things that are missing from our, our hearts or something missing from what we talk about as Catholics. But one of them is we sometimes come to the Mass and we want to focus on the Eucharist, which is awesome. That's phenomenal. That's that's a great step in the right direction to be able to focus on. Here is God truly present. Yes, hundred percent. Can't can't do without that. But we need to also realize that worship, worship is the re- is what we're the heart of what we're doing. And when we worship God, we're offering to the Father the once and for all an eternal sacrifice of the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so every time we come to Mass, it's always going to, even if it's the same, it's always going to be new. It's this offering of the Son to the Father, but it's also an offering of ourselves with the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit to the Father, which means that it can never get old. It's always new. And that's what I think of every time I I get I have the opportunity and the privilege to offer the Mass.
0: We're talking to Father Mike Schmitz. If you want to learn more, www.bulldog.com catholic.org bulldogcatholic.org father you started broadcasting in 2007 your homilies F- yeah 14 years later you were an overnight sensation january 1st <laughs> 2021 you debuted the bible in a year immediately it was the number one podcast worldwide how did it come to be
1: that's a great question it was it was awesome i mean it was so so as you know, in 2020, we had a, a lockdown and the shutdowns of our country and the world. And and uh, a bunch of things kind of came together at the same time. One of them was I found myself really, you know, it was a time of distress and distraction. And that's what I would say. Like there was a a sense where I would just tune in on podcasts or tune in on YouTube or wherever someone was talking. And I would just listen to who are the smart people and what are the smart people saying about the state of our world right now? And that that's not bad. It, I think it's good to be you know, informed. But what I found was happening to me is I just kept on going to the next person and the next person and the next person. They're like, what's what's the latest wise thing? What's the latest wisdom of the world? That was one thing. I remember I found myself really distracted and distressed. And then after that, <clears throat> I was convicted by a book that is called – the, it's called "From Christendom to Apostolic Age," and it's it, apostolic mission. And it's it, it's from Monsignor Shea out of You Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota. And in it, he called. He said, "If we're going to be Christians, the Catholics in this world right now, we have to, we must rediscover a biblical worldview." And that that phrase had always that had that had already been planted in my mind, in my imagination, in my heart for a couple of years. At that point, but reading that book that solidified that. And so I had this thought. At the same time, the third thing that happened was I was reading the book of Judges in the Old Testament. And in reading that, I realized, oh, this is not the first time we've been at this place. Like, this isn't our first rodeo. This is, this, you know, chaos in the world didn't just get invented in March 2020. This has been like this, and here it is in the Old Testament. And so all those things came together, and I thought, you know what I do? I know I need to do. I need to root myself in eternal wisdom, not just the wisdom of the world, but the wisdom of the Word. And so I was like, I need to, I need to read the whole Bible, and I, I want to do it out loud, and I think other people would be helped by it. So I contacted Ascension Press and said, would you be willing to help me, or would you be willing to put make a podcast, 365 Day, go through the entire Bible in one year? And they loved it, and we were off to the races after that.
0: And it became the number, and still is, the number one ranked podcast in the world. We're talking to Father Mike Schmitz, and I'm Jack Krasula, and this is Anything is Possible on (music) 760-WJR. This is Anything is Possible, and I'm your host, Jack Krasula, with Father Mike Schmitz. If you want to learn more www.bulldogcatholic.org. Father, if there's a listener tonight that says, Father Schmitz, why are you so sure that the apostles didn't make up the part about the resurrection of Jesus? Yeah,
1: You know, I I get that question a a bit. You know, I work on a college campus, and uh, that's what the bulldog means. So bulldogcatholic.org is uh, the University of Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs, that's that's the mascot. and So we're the Bulldog Catholics. Sometimes people say, like, is it because you're really tenacious as a Catholic? I'm like, I don't know, maybe, hopefully I am. But mostly because, or all because of the fact that from the college campus and because I'm on the college campus, people ask the big questions. And some of those big questions are, how do you know? How do you know that this is true? Because as I will remind them and anyone who listens, the only reason, the only reason to believe anything is because it's true, not because it makes us feel better or because it makes us act better, because it's true. That's the only reason to believe anything. And so how do we know that Jesus is who he says he is? We point to not only the miracles of Jesus, we point to the prophecies of his life and birth and death and resurrection, but also that that event, the resurrection. And so the question is, How, do, like you said, how, why would we, how do we have any evidence that this is true? Well, one of the things is, it's the most attested to event in ancient history. It's the single most attested to event in ancient history is the resurrection. And then that that that's saying something that that's well documented. But you'd say like, maybe they lied about it. And, and the big question, the big thing with that is, we have to from a human perspective, from a psychological perspective, and just again, a humanistic perspective, we'd say a couple things. One, if we look at the character of the apostles before the resurrection, after the crucifixion, but before the resurrection, versus the character and the actions of the apostles after the resurrection, it looks like the behavior and the character of two completely different groups of people. Before the resurrection, but after the crucifixion, they are hiding. They are locked away. They are they're, they're timid. After they claim that Jesus appeared to them, they are completely transformed. They are bold. They they don't they don't they no longer fear imprisonment. They no longer fear being disgraced. They no longer fear death. Even it, it just, something has changed. They've encountered something. Something has happened in their lives that has made it so. You have these people who I mean, here's Peter at at the, you know in the at Caiaphas's house, and and Peter denies even knowing Jesus to what? To to a a maiden, right? There's not even necessarily like this big, burly group of guys who are saying, you know Jesus. He denied even knowing Jesus to some maidservant, to a girl, little girl. And then Peter becomes the person who goes out on Pentecost, and he is preaching boldly, not only to anyone who listened, but even to the authorities who had had Jesus crucified and killed. So he's transformed. Another thing we'd say is like, okay, maybe, yeah, but maybe they just like wanted to cash in on the lie. Maybe they were just really bought into the lie. You say, okay, well, what what did they get from the lie? Did they get wealth? No, they got poverty. Did they get uh, long lives? No, nope. every one of them, every one of them died young by martyrdom, except for John, and he died as an old man. But he was tortured a number of times and exiled a number of times in his life, so he didn't get wealth or fame. Did they get fame? No, they didn't get fame. Did they get an easy life? None of them. What did they get? They got none, none of the things that anyone would tell a lie for. And the last thing, the last thing I think is so compelling, is connected to this. You know, one of our, one of our young, our, our students uh, said this, he reminded me of this this last summer. He said, someone, anyone, many people might die for what they believe in. That's true. I mean, you could have martyrs in any faith. Someone can die for what they believe in. But he said, but no one dies for what they know is a lie. No one dies for what they know is a lie. And every one of the apostles claimed that they had seen Jesus die, and they claimed that they had seen Jesus risen from the dead, completely transformed, alive like no one ever has been in the history of the world. They claimed that, and if they were lying, no one would die for what they knew was a lie. Cause they, but they, 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 and they didn't. They died for what they knew was true—that Jesus Christ had truly been crucified and died, and that Jesus truly had been resurrected.
0: We're talking to Father Mike Schmitz, known as the Podcast Priest. Father, tens of millions of people have listened to the 365 episodes Bible in the Year these last two plus years. But what has the Bible in a Year taught you? Father Mike Schmitz.
1: Oh, it's so good. Oh, it, that is a great question because it's, it, I've learned so much. Uh, I mean, there's some things about the Bible, because I've, I've studied it ever since I was that high schooler who had gone to confession at 15. I've been reading the Bible ever since then. But there's something about, about and we, I think we know this, that, that when you get to just be the student in class, you get to kind of, you get to speak through some things, right? You get, when you're the student, you sometimes get to, oh yeah, that's neat. But you don't really necessarily always pay super close attention. When you're the teacher, you have to know it. Like when you're the teacher, you have to like dig down deeply to make sure that you understand what is being, what, what you're saying. And so that's one thing for me. I'm so grateful, so grateful to the Lord for, uh, inviting me asking letting me be the one who was able to not only narrate the bible but also make some commentary on it because every day when i sat down to record i was like okay i better know this i better know what this what the word of god is saying because what i say is going to be recorded, and i want people to know the truth not just my opinion about this whole thing and that was so good another thing that was uh, two more things that that were striking for me is I would say I probably had read through the whole Bible by that point, but I'd never read through it in the way that we did in the Bible in the year, um, where it's like whole books all at once. That, for me, was, was so good on a number of routes. Uh, one is because the prophets, if you ever read the prophets, they kind of, what they're saying sounds really the same. I mean, if you read chapter one, you read chapter 61, it's kind of like, okay, I guess you're still kind of saying the same stuff. But when I had to dig deeply into the prophets and realize, okay, what are they saying? What are the subtle differences between chapter one and chapter 61? That was so good for me because I knew God's word is powerful and effective, living and effective, but there's something about needing to figure out what's being said that was helpful for me. And the last thing that I think I discovered was obviously 73 books of the Bible. I knew that there are a bunch of different authors. I knew that intellectually, but I kind of assumed That You pick up the Gospel of Luke, you pick up the book of Maccabees, you pick up the book of Joshua, and you think, well, I'm reading the Bible. It's all the same. But when you read them back to back to back to back to back, you catch on the subtle nuances and writing styles of all of the different authors. And that – I'm really grateful for that because it's a small thing, but it's something that was really striking to me and reminded me of the fact that, yes, like the Second Vatican Council said in Dei Verbum. On the Divine Revelation, Document on Divine Revelation. It said that that God is the primary author of Scripture, but he made use of those human authors in a true way so that it can truly be said that those human authors truly are the authors as well.
0: We're talking to Father Mike Schmitz. January 1st is a new year every year. In 2021, he's, he debuted Bible in a Year. January 1st, 2023, he debuted the catechism in a year. When we come back, we'll talk about the newest marathon effort that he's done. And I'm Jack Rasula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR.
1: Jack Rasula, host of WJR's Anything is Possible, the weekly radio visit, Brings his 15 years of inspirational storytelling to hardcover. With God, anything is possible. possible. 15 of Jack's more than 750 tales of defeating odds and achieving the extraordinary. Like Bob Woodruff, whose job covering the war in Iraq nearly cost him his life. And Nick Voyacic, the limbless evangelist who has stunned millions with his message of acceptance and grace. With God, anything is possible. Order now while signed copies are still available at trustinusllc.square.site. That's trustinusllc.square.site. And as Jack says...
0: Make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Anything. This is Anything is Possible. I'm your host, Jack Crusula. We're with Father Mike Schmitz. He's got a new mission to build some housing and a chapel on the University of Minnesota Duluth's campus. If you want to help him, www.bulldogcatholic.org. This past January 1st, you start, you debut another, the Catechism in the Year. Father, first off, what is the Catechism?
1: <laughs> That's a great question. Yes, the Catechism is uh, a summary of the Catholic faith, and so there have been a number of a number of universal catechisms over the course of the years. That just here's a summary of uh, ca- capturing here's what we believe from has been, been, has been revealed to us about God, about human beings, about the nature of the world, the nature of salvation, what is faith, the sacraments, uh, what is prayer, all those all those aspects of morality, how we live. It's basically a, a summary of all that Catholics believe and profess to, to, to believe or were called to. And so in the 1990s, there was a culmination of years and years and years of church experts and theologians and teachers coming together and creating a new, the newest universal catechism since the Council of Trent, which is saying something that's 500 years old. And so they came out and promulgated, I think, in 1992, 1993, 1991, somewhere, somewhere in the early 90s, that it was promulgated. And I am so grateful because this summary came out when I was in high school. And uh, it just its what so has been with me basically my entire life, my entire adult life. And uh, yeah, this, this summary of the Catholic faith given to us by the Church.
0: All right. A year ago, August, you came to the Shrine of the Little Flower Basilica. Standing room only, 2,400 plus people on a Wednesday night, and you spoke about theology of the body. This past August, we go to St. John's Resort, Plymouth. Standing room only, 900 plus people. You talked about the four pillars of the faith. Each time it was loaded with young people, Father, 35 and under, the vast majority of the people were kids. That's impossible. <laughs> How do you explain it?
1: Yeah, I, I think, I think one, one explanation is that the human heart is the same. You know, we live in a, in a new kind of world. We really do. And, and yet the human heart remains still longs for truth, still longs for goodness, still longs for beauty. We still long for hope and meaning. And those, those, to think about, pause on those last. We long for hope and we long for meaning. And that the recognition is that we can't, I mean, we can make it through life uh, by pursuing our own success. We can make it through life by pursuing what we think is going to make us happy. But ultimately, we, we know that if, I, if there's not an overarching meaning that's bigger than me, if there isn't a, a story that's bigger than just my story, then, then why even live my story? And, that, and that's 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 part of the again the human heart knows this even if we don't always articulate it like this. If it's just you know someone says just live your story that's what matters. You're the only one. You're the only life that that can be yours. You're the only you that's ever been. Like yes, that's true. But if there's not an overarching story, if it's not a bigger story that my story is part of, then I realize that oh, huh, how do I make sense of? the difficult parts of my story? How do I make sense of the grief that's in my story? How do I make sense of the suffering that's part of my story? And so I think what resonates with so many young people is the sense of, wait, there's there's a bigger story. And my story actually fits into this bigger story because there is a God who knows my name. There is a God who has made me on purpose, and he's made me for a purpose. And so whenever someone comes along, is able to reveal that just even t- or tap into that and just kind of touch on that, there's, there's a response. And so that's what I, 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 what I found so often with our college students. With our, I, I'm also the director of ministry for our diocese up here in Duluth, Minnesota. And, and so when we tap into that, there's this, again, some, not, there's not always a response, right? Because sometimes people say, no, it's my story. I'm going to live it the way I want to live it. That's the reality of the human heart as well. But when they are invited into the way to realize it, there's a story, and there's a God who loves them, who knows them, who made them on purpose and for a purpose. I think the response is so powerful.
0: Are you telling me, Father, that God truly knows me and that Jesus died for me?
1: There is something so powerful about the, the, the sad fact, I think, that happens so often, is that Catholic, even Catholics who were raised in the church and were are told from even a very young age that God loves you and God cares about you, I think most Catholics—we've heard that God loves us, but we actually believe that God merely tolerates us, and and that that does something to our heart, where we we say, "Oh yeah, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, God's good and everything. He loves everybody, but when it comes to me, He doesn't necessarily love me. He." He's okay with me existing, and that is such a lie, because because, as you, as you noted, how much further could God go to prove his love for us? I mean, you know the very, one of the most famous verses in the entire New Testament, John chapter 3, verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that so everyone who believed in him would not perish but would have eternal life. And the the motivation in that, the motivation is not because he he needs us. The motivation in that is not because he can get something out of it. The motivation of God giving of him very, his very self, his very son, his motivation is that he loves you. And as St. Augustine said from the very beginning, you know, in the 4th, 5th century, St. Augustine said, God loves each one of us as if there is only one of us. And that he would have done the same thing. if, if, If saving the world simply meant saving you. He would have done the exact same thing. He would have given up his entire life just for you. That's how worth it to him you are.
0: When you spoke this past August, you used uh, two words in Latin, N-U-N-C-C-O-E-P-I, which means begin again. What yeah. was the basic message you wanted to get across to us?
1: Yeah, so that that word "nuke chepi" or that two words "nuke chepi." Easy for you to I say, begin. Father. Easy for us. Yeah, you exactly, to say. <laughs> exactly, Jack. And now I begin. Now I begin. And so, uh, venerable Bruno Lanteri was a priest, and uh, and he was a founder of a religious community, I believe. I get this right. And he had he had this phrase "nuke chepi," and it was part of a, a longer thing that he would say that was basically reminding people, people, especially people who are discouraged, people who are asking, is there any hope? Is there any meaning? Is there, any, is there any, any future for me? He said, if I should fail, if I should fall, if I should sin a thousand times, a thousand times, I would look, call upon the mercy of God and simply say, now I begin again. And that sense of just that, that recognition, and it's so encouraging because how many people do we find on a, on a regular basis they disqualify themselves. They say, No, because I've failed, because I've fallen, because I've sinned, I am done. I, I'm dead in the water. I it's over for me. There's no hope for me because I've already messed it up. And yet this this phrase is "nunc chepi. Now I begin. Just to be able to say that every day, I just say, Now I begin. And and, and, and there's a there's an ancient Christian pedigree for this. And that is the sense of I begin every day, knowing that every day belongs to God. And so I just have to once again say, God, I will let you love me. I'll let you do what you want, which is you want to love me. And now, wherever I'm at, I'm going to say yes. Wherever I've been, the next best step is saying yes. The next best step is saying, now I begin our new Chepi.
0: All right, I quote you again. Mercy is love given by God to people who need it the most and deserve it the least. Tell us about Mercy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so many of the ancient Christian writers, you know, people who are giants in the spiritual life, they have pointed out that, of course, not only we know this because it's revealed through Jesus, that God is love. Love isn't just something God does, but love is who God is. So God is love and the highest form of love, they'd say the highest form of love is mercy. And I was thinking about this a lot and just realizing like, so why, why is mercy the highest form of love? But God proves his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us, gave up his life. And and that's so far, that's mercy.
0: Thank you, Father. Heavenly Father, as we close, we have so much to be thankful for. One of the best is for giving us the world, Father Mike Schmitz and his ministry. Keep up the great, great work, Father
1: next, Jack. I really appreciate it.
0: Please join us next Saturday. Until then, I'm Jack Grasula. Thanks for listening, and make it a great week, because with God, anything is possible.